So Luke chapter 6, verse 38 reads, Give and you will receive. You will be given much. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way that God will give to you. Now, how many times have you heard that scripture used in reference to a, a biblical setting of giving or maybe as a life principle? It's probably one of the most quoted scriptures that there are in regards to this topic of giving and receiving. And it's something that we understand on many different levels in our lives, not just because it's in the Bible, but as it relates to generosity. And then we've also come to understand that if we give, there's usually going to be some type of return on that. Let's say you notice that the yard of your elderly uh, the widow next door to you is just getting out of control. The grass is long. All the bushes really need to be trimmed. So you spend a Saturday mowing her lawn, trimming all the bushes, just making it look really nice. And then after you're finished, you wouldn't be surprised if there was a a knock on your door, and there's that little old woman, and she has just baked some chocolate chip cookies for you. Give, and you will receive. Let's say you have a friend in the hospital. They're there because they're sick or maybe had been in an accident, and you go to visit them because you love that friend, but also because you know that when you're sick or when something's wrong in your life, that they will be there for you as well. So it's give and you will receive. Let's say you go to a restaurant and the waiter or waitress provides you with really good service that's over and above the call of duty. Then you're going to give an extra good tip. Give and you will receive. The Bible calls that reap what we sow. The world calls it what goes around comes around. So there is a positive and a negative in that. You reap what you sow positively, and you reap what you sow negatively. So give, and you will receive. And that's not just in a generous principle, but it's also a life principle. And we've been looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 the past few weeks, and we were seeing in there how the Apostle Paul was gathering an offering for the Christians in the church in Jerusalem. So he was traveling throughout Greece and gathering that offering for them. The church in Corinth was struggling a little bit in that regard. And so he used the Macedonian Christians and their example of generosity as inspiration. But now today, we are going to find the purpose behind this philosophy. So I want you to look with me at the blessings of God that come into our life as a result of our generosity. And there's no other area of theology that's more misunderstood. So let's see what Paul has to say about this in Scripture. So first of all, we're going to look at three prerequisites to receiving God's blessing. God's blessing are contingent upon generosity. So in verse 6, remember this, the person who plants a little will have a small harvest, but the person who plants a lot will have a big harvest. Now most of us understand the idea of generosity 
But we have to remember that generosity is a virtue that is developed in our lives. It's not something that just comes naturally. And the scriptures say that God measures generosity by two different factors. And don't confuse or leave one of them out. Because in the Old Testament scripture, God measured it by percentage and he measured it by capability. And last week we talked about the fact that God actually was asking for the first 10% of everything we make. He said, that's a given. You, you just give that back to me. And now what does the New Testament say about this? Because that's the era that we now live under. And the New Testament doesn't abolish this tithe or this 10%. It actually places greater emphasis upon generosity and on sacrificial giving. Tithing was expected, and Jesus was teaching that we should even go beyond that. So in Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus said, How terrible are you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are hypocrites. You give to God one-tenth of everything you earn, even your mint, dill, and cumin, but you don't obey the really important teachings of the law, justice, mercy, and being loyal. These are the things you should do as well as those other things. So he's dealing with people. Yes, they're giving their 10%, but it's legalistically. They're just giving the 10% and no more. So when they would bring in some of the herbs from their garden, they would measure it out and then 10% to the church. 10% would go to the church. But then they didn't treat other people with mercy. So God said, make sure this all goes together. Make sure you go that extra mile and you're doing it out of love. See, most of Jesus' parables actually dealt with the topic of generosity. And how do we implement this principle? What is the benchmark that we use? What you think is generous and what I think is generous may be completely different. So how do we get on the same page? So if you go to that restaurant, like I mentioned earlier, and the waiter or waitress is really great with the service, and I want to be generous, I want them to know that I really appreciate what they've done for me, so what do I do? I'm going to give a tip. That's beyond the standard 15% that is expected when you're at a restaurant. So I might go to 17, 18, 20%, whatever it happens to be. So then I've gone beyond the standard and I've expressed my generosity. God had a standard in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, he said, give as you have been blessed. As you bless others, God will bless you. So God doesn't just measure our generosity by percentage, but he's just as interested in our capability. So in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, Paul wrote, On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So notice that phrase, in keeping with his income. That basically means in proportion to his income. So in other words, we're not all the same. We don't all have the same capability. 
And for the past three weeks, we've been talking about this capital campaign that we are involved in, and we've been talking about equal participation. That doesn't mean that everyone is going to give equally to this project over the next three years because we're all at different levels as far as income, as far as finances. But we are encouraging everybody to be equally involved at whatever level you can be. So here's a hypothetical situation. Two men, middle-aged, good jobs that pay $90,000 a year. One man, he lives by himself in a one-bedroom apartment. And the other man lives with his wife and his two, uh, actually, university-aged daughters. And he's paying for them to go through university. So when you look at that at first, you think, wow, that single guy, he should be able to be more generous than the man with the family. But I, I have to tell you a little bit more behind the story. The guy that's living on his own in that one-bedroom apartment is paying over a third of his income to his ex-wife for alimony and then child support for their children. And then he has a mother that lives in another province who is badly in need of help, and he's supporting her to some degree as well. And then the parents of the guy with the two kids in university, they left half a million dollars to him in a will. He has that invested. He's getting a really good investment income from it and also drawing some from the principal. So what's the mark of generosity for those two men? It's tough for us to just kind of look on the surface and then try to predetermine what the mark of generosity should be in their lives. And we shouldn't be doing that. That's God's job. He's the only one that can see all of those things. So it's between them and God, their giving, their generosity, their percentage, their capability, and how God has blessed them. Only God knows the heart and the capability. Now, 2 Corinthians 8.12 says, If you want to give, your gift will be accepted. It will be judged by what you have, not by what you do not have. The second prerequisite for God's blessing is we must give willingly. Each of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give. You should not be sad when you give, and you should not give because you feel forced to give. God loves the person who gives happily. So we all give generously all the time, and it's not always willingly. Every paycheck, there's a good amount of money that is withdrawn when we get our take-home pay. And I just looked through my deductions, and 70% of my deductions are income tax. But do I always give that willingly to the government? And sometimes... We're kind of guilted into giving because we feel as if we need to give in order to keep up certain appearances. Now, back when we used to pass an offering plate around, uh, and then we decided, no, uh, we're not going to shove this in people's faces. We're going to let people give willingly. We put an offering box at the back and then had various ways for people to give uh, electronically or, or just automatic withdrawals. And people said, you're going to lose money, but not our congregation. The giving increased when we did that, when it wasn't something that was forced. People were giving out of love and desire. They were giving generously. The third prerequisite for us to receive God's blessing 
is that we must give cheerfully. Now, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, you must decide, each of you in your heart, how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. So we're to give with expressions of joy, not reluctantly and not grudgingly. Let's just say it's my wedding anniversary and my youngest daughter, Ainsley, said that morning, Dad, what did you get Mom for your anniversary? I've forgotten about it altogether. It's a very, but this is hypothetical. <laughs> because we got married on December 20th, which is an incredibly busy time of the year for pastors. So it's still hypothetical. <laughs> so I go downtown to her favorite jewelry store and I buy a gift for her. And then when she comes home from work that evening, I present this gift to my wife. And I, I tell her, Ainsley reminded me that it was our anniversary. I'd forgotten all about it. I didn't really want to get you anything, but I knew you'd be mad if I didn't. So here it is. And by the way, it costs too much. Enjoy. But if it's questionable about how the rest of that day would go for me, and then it's also questionable about whether I'd have another anniversary to celebrate or not. A cheerful gift is required. There's an incredible story in the Old Testament about King David. He has already been anointed as the next king of Israel, but Saul is still in the throne, and he does not want to step aside for David, and he's actually trying to kill David. So David has been on the run for his life. He has a group of very loyal men, and they've been with him. They're hiding in caves. They're out in the wilderness, anywhere they can be to stay away from Saul because Saul wants to kill David. So one time they were hiding. David becomes kind of nostalgic and, and he said, you know, I'm really thirsty. I remember back when I was a boy, there was this, way, this um, well, that's where you get water. There's this well on the edge of the town in Bethlehem, and it had the coolest, sweetest water. That would be so nice to have a drink of that right now. Well, three of his men, they heard that, and, and, and they loved this guy. And so they went that night, they snuck through Saul and all of his soldiers, and went the, the number of miles to Bethlehem, and they found a container, they drew water out of that well, and then the same way back to David, snuck through Saul and his soldiers, and brought it back, and then presented it to David. And David was so overwhelmed with their generosity and their love that he said, I can't accept this. I can't drink this. I don't deserve to have people love me this much. And then he said, God, I give this to you. And when I thank you for all that you've done for me, I thank for all the times you've protected me. I thank you for the men that you've given to me to protect me. And then he actually poured the water out onto the ground. He said, I give this to you as an offering for all you've done for me. And he pours it out as an offering to God. That's the posture of heart that we're trying to achieve, where God is asking for generosity on our part. And because of our gratitude for what we have in our lives, we cheerfully and willingly, not reluctantly, give. 
and our gift isn't measured by the monetary value, what value does water have anyway? Instead, it's measured by our personal sacrifice and our expression of love. And now I'm going to say something that you would very rarely hear a pastor say in church, and maybe you've never heard one say this. But I'm going to say, if after praying about your generosity and giving relationship with God, you can't give cheerfully, willingly, then don't give. Now, in case you fell asleep, I'll say that again. If you are praying about your generosity and your giving relationship with God, and after doing that, you can't give cheerfully or willfully, then don't give because you've missed the point. God's not interested in your money. What's he going to do with money anyway? That doesn't help him at all. He's interested in you, and we need to express generosity as much as anything else in a willing manner. So doesn't that seem like a dangerous thing to say uh, since we're in this midst of a campaign to make room for more people in our building? This four-week campaign to raise $2 million to increase the size of the building. We started on an amazing journey together and our mandate as a church is to know Jesus and make him known. And we have a vision of hundreds more people getting to know Jesus Christ and being discipled. I can see people pouring through that entrance, which is going to continue to be our entrance with what we plan to do. And then there's going to be a really big welcome area, cafe for people to gather in. And then there will be offices down the right this side of the building I will have an office again I will no longer be like the children of Israel wandering around the wilderness <laughs> for all those years and uh, and then uh, I'm standing where the wheelchair accessible bathrooms will be and then there will be a kitchen over there and the women are coming back on board that were here 12 years ago when we kind of took a big kitchen away to make space for the kids and then I see parents checking their children into the welcome area downstairs which will be doubled in size so it won't be a crowding issue anymore and then there will be a classroom for every age group and the kids will have this huge area for their group time and their story time when they all gather together and also for worship. So we're going to be more than doubling the size of our building. It will be 115% bigger. And that will enable us to get to around 650 people in attendance, both in worship and down in the children's program. And and we're hoping this will get us to a three-year point because that's how long this campaign will be. We're just asking people to sacrifice for that three years. And then at that time, we'll be able to carve off 100-plus people and start another campus somewhere else in the city and create room to keep growing here again. Now, if this is your first time here or your second time or even your third time, I want you to understand that we aren't after your money. You're under no obligation to give to making room for more. I'm talking to those here who have decided that HCC is their home church. But if you make that decision within the next week and want to give, that's okay. We will not turn your money aside. But if you have just been here the last three weeks, you might think, 
all these people talk about is giving and generosity. But it's something like Haley's Comet, like once every 12 years. That's the last time there was a big push. Sometimes we raise money for different missions or maybe needs around the world. Once in a while, a little nudge that our giving needs to come up for our regular giving. But God's been blessing through some amazing people in our church. And I've shown a video rendering of what this we hope will look like, but it's not going to actually be like that. But you can go to our tab on our website, the tab called Making Room, and you can see the video there, and there's all kinds of information there as well. But note this, we aren't asking you to give to the building. We're asking you to give to the vision. And the question is, are you with us in reaching more people for Jesus Christ? So this is my last message on the teaching of generosity. And we're building toward next Sunday, which will be Commitment Sunday. And that's where we're asking you to fill out a commitment card saying what you can do over the next three years. And... That's the day when we will make those financial pledges and we want them to be above our regular giving. We don't want to cut into any of the ministries that we're doing right now. And I keep saying this every time I'm together with you. I am challenging you to give beyond what you have ever given to a church venture such as this in the past. And now I'm just going to take a moment to work you through this commitment card so you're not afraid of it when you see it. But it, we will ask for your name, and that's because we want to make sure this isn't kids just putting in a name and $100,000 and we get all excited and then can never track them down. And then your address. That's partly to get our records up to date because every Christmas we send out Christmas cards and so many of them come back and then we send out receipts for income tax purposes and, and return to senders. So we need your updated address. And then down here in this box, uh, you'll see my or our total gift is. So that's how much you are going to be giving over that three-year period. And then the next box says what I plan to give for a first gift because the 12th of November will be first offering Sunday. And if people have pledged to give a certain amount of money Right at the start, they will give it that week. And if you've pledged so much per month or biweekly, we're asking that you make the first gift that Sunday. So that will be a time of celebration, as well as next week will be a time of celebration. And then at the bottom of the card, it's just how do you plan to make the remaining gifts? So it can be a combination of annually and then monthly or biweekly. Whatever methods you want to use, you can load it all on there in two years' time, just whatever. So I'm, we're going to give you these at the door today, but we don't want you to fill them out. We want you to take them home, pray about it, bring it back next week if you can remember. If you can't, we will have extras. Don't worry. And, and if you really can't be here next week, I'll, I'll give you an envelope so that you can uh, make your pledge and drop it off here at the church. So I mentioned that we will be 
banking the money that we will receive until April of 2024 when we start construction, and then the amount of money that has been pledged to give from that point on until November of 2026, we will borrow from a company called the Church of Christ Development Company. And they loan money to churches at 2.75%. You can pay it back early without penalty. You can pay extra each month if you want to with no penalty at all. And it's just as easy as that to raise $2 million. (laughs) And then I just want us to look at the promise of God's blessing in your life. He says, you reap in production to what you sow. So if you sow sparingly, you harvest sparingly. If you sow generously, you will reap a harvest generously. On PEI, if you plant two bushels of oats per acre, the return will be 65 bushels per acre. That's 3,200% return. And that's the type of return that we're talking about here with God. Because in his mental picture, you wouldn't as a farmer sow sparingly because you want more and more of a return. So Deuteronomy Give freely to the poor person and do not wish that you didn't have to give. The Lord your God will bless your work and everything that you touch. And then Luke 6 again. Give and you will receive. You will be given much, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way that God will give to you. So pressed down, shaken together. What does that mean? If you've ever been raking leaves in the fall of the year and putting leaves into one of those brown bags and you fill the bag up and then you start crushing the leaves down and then you can get some more in and and then you crush it down again. I can do five or six times before I'm finally done and I carry that bag to the curb. Well, that's what's going on here in response to God. He said, in response to your generosity, I'm going to just keep pressing and pressing so that you get more. God will bless your generosity. And I want to share two of the qualifications of the promise of God's blessings. God's blessings take time. A harvest isn't produced in a matter of hours. After Dad and my brother and I would plant our oats. Like we didn't go out there the next morning and get the combine. We're going to harvest our crop. We wouldn't even see anything. It would be a week before they would start to sprout through the ground. So it takes time. And then also note this, not all of God's blessings are material. And sometimes we get a little short-sighted as Christians, and, but God is interested in so much more. And then in verse 10, God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and bread for food. He will give you all the seeds you need and make it grow so there will be a great harvest from your goodness. So God promises to bless you, but he promises to bless the spiritual need in your life as well. But it's not some type of stock market scheme. And then the purpose of God's blessing in your life. First of all, God blesses us so that we can give again. You will be made rich in every way so that you can always give freely. So we are to be channels of God's blessings. And when he blesses our lives, it's not for us to just kind of hoard it to ourselves, but we turn around and we give to others. And God also blesses us so that we can be grateful to him. In verse 11, and you're giving 
through us will cause many to give thanks to God. And Susan Attenbury talked about visiting her brother, and she ran out of money and as she was there, and she asked him for a loan, and he gave her $50. Now, this is quite a few years ago. I went back into the archives to get some good stories for this series. So that $50 was a lot of money to her, and she knew it was going to take her a while to pay it back. So what she did, every paycheck, every two weeks, she wrote a check, put it in an envelope, but then she also wrote a letter to her brother telling him what was going on in her life. And then about halfway through, her brother wrote her a letter and he said, hey, this is great. You've never written to me before. I just want you to know that I really appreciate it. So she continued with the process, $5 every two weeks, until she sent the final check, and she said, this is it, and thank you so much for helping me out. And then she said, a couple of weeks later, there was an envelope in her mailbox from her brother, and she opened it up, and the only thing in there was a $50 bill. No words at all. So he was saying, I liked the fact that you were developing that relationship with me. It wasn't about the money, but I want to continue being in communication with you. So it's not the money, it's the expression of gratitude and love and communication. And that's what God wants with us as well. And then God blesses us so the needs of others can be supplied. This service you do not only helps the needs of God's people, it also brings many more thanks to God. And you can probably all share stories of where you know someone who received a certain sum of money, might have been an inheritance or, or might just a gift from someone, and they turn around and they give it to other people or other ministries and don't even use it themselves. And that's what God's asking here. And then God's blessing results in a positive testimony. It is a proof of your faith. Many people will praise God because you obey the good news of Christ. Now, you're not going to believe this, but the world will tune out pastors and not listen to us. And, and they will tune out Christian music. But it's amazing how they sit up and take notice when a Christian is generous. And the world will be even shocked when someone is generous and they don't need to be generous. So generosity is a positive testimony and it is going to bring praise to God and result in praise to us as well. And there's one final promise for God's blessing in our lives in that last verse, the 14th. And when they pray, they will wish the team, you guys can come up here now if you'd like. Uh, and when they pray, they will wish they could be with you because of the great grace that God has given you. So because of your generosity, the people that you give to are so relieved that they're going to pray on your behalf and you receive the blessing of prayer. And then one day when you're in heaven, you're going to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. The story is told that when Steve Job, or Job, I don't even know how his name is pronounced, of Apple Computers was looking for an experienced executive, he wined and dined John Scully of the Pepsi Company. And he asked him, he said, John, do you want to spend the rest of your money selling sugar water, or do you want to change the world? 
And my question to you is, do you want to spend your time, your energy, and resources chasing things of this world, or do you want to make a lasting impact on this world? A lifestyle of giving reflects the heart of God, and it gives hope to the world. And the reason for making room for more isn't so we can have a cooler, bigger building. It'll be nice to fit people in, but it's all about Life change, seeing more people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if that's a decision that you've not made and you want to make that decision, talk to me about it. Talk to any of our other leadership here or just grab somebody and say, I need to talk to someone and they will direct you to us.